I'm delighted to be meeting with you again this week. And the study this week is a continuation of the sermon series based on the Old and New Testament, dealing with crisis, Christ, and the people of God. Our study this week is in Exodus 16 and also in Luke 4. And it seems to have everything, both these uh, narratives, to do with hunger, food, and starvation. Indeed, food, bread in particular, and hunger are are an important part of these narratives, but it is not the main theme. If anything, the 16th chapter of Exodus is about a grumbling, murmuring, complaining people. However, both in Exodus and Luke, we see God's work is not bound by our actions. God's call uh, to us is to trust in times of trials And God's truth will supply our needs. Now, before I begin to read the scripture, hopefully you have downloaded the study or welcome to follow along with that or familiarize yourself with it afterwards and also to go through the questions. Would you please join me in prayer before we start reading the scripture for today? Let us pray. Gracious and holy God, Lord, even with the noise outside from lawnmowers and blowers and tree trimmers and construction workers. We want to focus on your word. We want to focus on what you have to say to us about being in a time when we just feel like our tank is empty, where we need your presence, Lord, more than ever. I pray that you will guide us through the scripture as we read it this morning, as we study together your word. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, hear now the word of the Lord. The whole congregation of the Israelites set out from Elam, and Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. The whole congregation of Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, If only We had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, I am going to rain bread from heaven for you. And each day the people shall go out and gather enough for that day. And that way I will test them whether they will follow my instruction or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather on other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your complaining against the Lord. For what are we that you complain against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening, and your fill of bread in the morning, because the Lord has heard the complaining that you utter against him. What are we? Your complaining is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the Israelites, Draw near to the Lord, for he has heard your complaining. And as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the Israelites, They looked towards the wilderness, and the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. The Lord spoke to Moses and said, 
I have heard the complaining of the Israelites say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall have your fill of bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening quails came and covered up the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a fine flaky substance, as fine as frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they said to one another, What is this? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. And now a passage from Luke chapter 4, the first four verses. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where for forty days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing all during those days, and when they were over, he was famished. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become a loaf of bread. Jesus answered him, It is written, One does not live by bread alone. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Chapter 16 has a few difficulties in the structure with duplications and anomalies, especially in verses 6 through 8. It just doesn't flow well. There are some literary problems in the chapter, and not all theologians agree on style or influence. However, the story of God's continued care, despite the people's action, is consistent with all of Scripture. God is with us and for us. Once again, using the JEPD critical source, we can see that the elements of priestly and Yahweh are used as influences. The priestly account begins by showing the chronology of travel. Again, they they like to put things in order, and they love numbers, and it's showing that you know it's probably a month of travel for these folks, and that begins to account for that part. And they're a whole assembly united, a whole assembly brought together. Um, And they're unified in their complaining. All the Israelites mumbled, mumbled, mumbled. Moses and Aaron called a gathering for all the people to hear from the Lord. Once again, that's the, um, you see the influence of that. Now the Yahwist is seen as those um, that, that look at the perspective of God who provides for his people. And certainly in verses 4 through and 5 and 13, second part of verse 13 through 15, you will see that God will take care of them because God is a God of covenant. This chapter also introduces the keeping of the Sabbath as part of God's provision for his people. So the story of needing food is repeated in Numbers, particularly the recording in Numbers 11. If you want to look at that sometime, you'll see the the similarities, mostly the mumbling, the grumbling. There's no quail mentioned. I'm going to take a sip of water. Thank you. There is no quail mentioned, but uh, much of the text, as I said, is very, very similar in Exodus. And as well as it is referenced in Deuteronomy and in Psalms, that God provides for the people. Before chapter 16 and following the chapter, the Israelites have complained often in chapters 5, 15, and 16. The Israelites are about a month into the journey, as in referenced in one, and they are murmuring. Basically, the people are in need. They are hungry. 
Secondly, Moses intervenes. And third, thirdly, God supplies. And fourth, God is gracious in spite of their mumbling and their unbelief. Let's just look at each section. Let's look first at verses 1 through 3 of Exodus chapter 16. Although the text gives us date and location, it is not easily traceable as to the exact route that the people took. We know that the wilderness was not the fastest route for them to take, nor was it the easiest, but that was the one that God chose. God led Israel through the Israel through the wilderness. Israel did not find its own way. It's a perfect example of this and what we're about to see happening in this text, but it's consistent with who God is. God is the one who's in control. God is the one who's leading. Uh, The murmuring is a common motif for uh, the wilderness and for the focus of this narrative. The murmuring of the people cannot be overemphasized. I I love the murmur, 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 murmur. It is interesting to note that they left Egypt with cattle, with food galore, but now a month into their travels, they are saying they're famished. They're, they're so hungry. They're, they would let you think that they're absolutely starving. Um, Childs in his commentary thinks that they are not starving, but they are in a wanting mode. Ever been in that kind of mode? Like, you, you want it, not because you necessarily are at the place where you have to have it. Your car's three years old, but doggone it, I, I, I have to have a new car because this one's just like going to die on me any moment. Maybe something similar to that in your life. They were complaining. They wanted flesh pots, and those are cauldrons of meat, you know, just huge, huge cauldrons of meat, and they want uh, bread aplenty, as Childs would say. The setting is more about their complaints than about the food. It is about their demands in the midst of a lack of trust and faith. They complained against Moses and Aaron, but clearly their complaint was against God and assumes ill will. Kind of, you are brought out to kill us and this whole assembly with hunger. That's your, that's your plan, Moses and Aaron. But they're really talking about God because remember, God is the one who led them out. God is the one who is showing them the way. All right, let's look at verses 4 and 5. Three things happen. God promises to feed the murmurers. He gives directions on what they need to do in order to get the food. And he initiates the gift of food based on his action, not based on their behavior, not based on their earning or deserving This is what God does. It's a good reminder that God is the leader and God is a gracious leader. God intervenes for Moses and Aaron and responds with the promise of bread from heaven. God uh, presents kind of a a caveat, a testing in the midst of this, of their trust in his provision for their instructions on how to collect food. God will provide each day enough for one day and allows On the sixth day, a double portion for them to collect to have enough for the Sabbath so that they will have a day of dress truly. Okay, now this just might be a good time to um, step back and think about our hoarding that is going on in the country right now. Uh, Shelves of many stores are empty due to overbuying. Uh, Food. I, you know, I love to make cabbage soup. 
to a confession here, and I have a really hard time finding chicken stock. Now, if I were a gifted cook, I could probably make it. Um, I especially like vegetable stock at low sodium, and I have a hard time finding it. Forever, we couldn't find toilet paper. There was such a run on toilet paper, on paper towels, on, on flour. I have friends who are bakers. They couldn't find flour. People were hoarding. They were so worried and this is a great reminder that God supplies daily bread, everything we need, but he supplies more than that. The reality that man shall not live by bread alone, which is found in Deuteronomy 8.3, is evidence and the call for trust. <clears throat> Excuse me. God wants the Israelites to trust that the covenant made with the people will meet their needs. As mentioned as we go forward in looking at verse uh, 6 through 8 now, these verses in, in verses 6 through 8 of this chapter are a little awkward in the placement of the text and in the duplication of verses 6 and 8. So they're, they're kind of repetitive. They're kind of, um, it's, just, it's just an awkward in the language. It's a little awkward. Nevertheless, it's an important point uh, to note in reiterating that God is the one who will take care of the Israelites. God heard their complaining, even though in verses 2 and 3 said they complained and, bl and blamed Moses and Aaron for their situation. Moses promises them that they will experience the power of God. You will see the glory of God. This is the theophany. This is the, a presence, something special where, where um, God is in what God does is seen or experienced. And uh, God shows himself by his work and will care for them. So verse 8 repeats the polemics that the Lord will give you meat and bread despite your complaining, and that Moses names their sin. You say you blame us, referring to himself and Aaron, but you are murmuring against God. Keep moving. Let's look at Exodus 16, 9 through 12. The gathering of the of the congregation has a language of a debate or disputation to tell the people again that God has heard their complaining. It's inter interesting to note that in looking towards the wilderness, the desolate land, they experience the glory of the Lord in the cloud. I think oftentimes in the very center of the most difficult things that we face or that we see, there is that glory of God, that it is that light that God brings to us. I love spending time with my husband. I really don't get to do that that much. There's my silver lining during COVID-19. There is a fullness of God's caring. God addresses Moses, acknowledges the complaints and promises to care for them with meat in the evening and bread in the morning. There's a fullness to God caring for us. I remember as a child um, singing a song and the chorus is like, Love him in the morning when you see the sun arising. Love him in the evening because he took you through the day. And in the in-between time when you feel the pressure rising, remember that he loves you and he promises to stay. I believe that we often complain whether the need is really great or not, yet God still meets our request and supplies our needs. The last part of this little narrative that we're looking at is in verses <clears throat> excuse me, 13 and 15, we see God bringing exactly what he said, food. Quail showed up covering the ground in the evening, and in the morning there was a fine, flaky 
substance like frost. Now this adjective, um, let me see if I can say this right, mahuspas is used only in the Old Testament and only in this one place. The substance for bread was something uh, they never saw before. And so the word uh, manhu or manna is derived from that. And the word literally means, what is this? What is it? They didn't know. So manna means, what is it? Very, very uh, interesting play on words there. But Moses assures them that it is bread, bread from heaven, bread God has promised. God promises to show up. There again is that theophany is there for us. He provides food for us and creates in us trust that he will provide for each day our needs. Let's turn to Luke 4 now and look at verses 1 through 4. Jesus in the wilderness. Now first, I have to give credit to a professor, a friend, and acquaintance of mine, Dr. James Edwards, uh, for the background on this text. Though I've looked at many commentaries, uh, Jim Edwards just brings it to life, makes it make sense, and so I um, I'm going to use a lot of his material in this and uh, appreciate that I've been able to sit at his feet to learn from him. And he's also provided an excellent commentary on Luke. Now, all three synoptic gospels, that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, place the temptation in the desert as to be a confirmation of Jesus' baptism into his call and a prelude to his public ministry. Got to put that in the context. So just um, go back and look at chapter 3 very, very quickly and see there's a baptism. Jesus comes, he's baptized. God says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased or launched into his vocation. All three synoptics also presuppose a parable between the testing of Jesus and the testing of, of Israel in the wilderness. Both tests occur in the wilderness. Um, both are about obedience and both share the elements of hunger, bread, and the number 40. Uh, water in the Red Sea and Jordan are also, um, in the Jordan River, is also common in, in these two um, narratives. And the number 40, just so you know, is used in Scripture both as a measure of a long time and also to signify severity or suffering. So 40 suffering time. Um, the Greek word uh, parasomus, which must be translated either tempt or test, is the testing that cannot succeed because Jesus' commission at his baptism and the power of the Holy Spirit indwelling him will prevent any failure of whatever test he comes across. Uh, again, that commissioning at his baptism and the power of the Holy Spirit is important. Jesus is uh, not tempted less, but more so than we. Jesus is tempted with the elements or things that we relate to, but to which we have no divine power to make transpire. Yes, we hunger without a doubt. We get hungry. But Jesus could indeed change the stones on the desert floor into bread. That is not our temptation. We are not able to do that. Another point to make is that uh, Luke refers to the devil, Diapolos, rather than Satan. 
As a verb, it is used to inform or accuse. And in its four uses in the Septuagint, both in Daniel and 2nd and 4th Maccabees, is to accuse falsely. So the devil is a slanderer, a misrepresenter. Edwards, in, this, in his commentary, also makes a good point that for Judaism, the devil was a traditionally associated with three functions. First, to lead people astray, to accuse them wrongly before God, and cause death as a punishment of sin. In Luke 4.1, as we look at each uh, verse now together, having been baptized for his vocation, filled with the Holy Spirit, Jesus is led into the wilderness. I, being the human that I am, want to linger a bit more with friends and my, would want to kind of hang out more with my friends and my colleagues, having been recognized, you know, as the child of God and pleasing to the Father. But Jesus goes immediately from that place and uh, goes to where he's supposed to go. Um, in, in the next uh, scripture, you see that he is there, or the next verse, in verse 2, you see that he's there for 40 days, and it relates back to the Old Testament times of trial and separation. Again, as stated before, it's, it's a time of suffering. Jesus has is, is been in the desert. He's been tempted the whole time. He's lonely, and he's famished. He's hungry. Now, I've never experienced being hungry or famished anywhere close to the same way. Um, Though I find it interesting that scripture almost always has prayer and fasting put together, that has that has somehow not translated into the American culture. We fast maybe for a day. Uh, we always pray. I mean, I think we're really quite good at prayer, but not so much at fasting. For years, many years, I um, led a 30-hour famine to raise money for World Vision. They kind of put this together, and you take a group of high school kids along with the youth leaders, and you go 30 hours without eating. One would have thought that we went 40 days without food. The grumbling and hunger we all felt right there. Jesus is fully human and hungers as we do, but for 40 days, not for 30 hours. The deceiver, the misleader in verses 3 and 4, makes a true statement, although with a preposition if, if you are the son of God, I find that interesting. So it, he, he kind of, it, it almost seems like, is he trying to hook him into this? Is he trying to fool him? Is he trying to start an argument? Uh, Jesus is coming from his baptism. It is not likely, though, that the devil is trying to question his authority as a son of God, but rather attempting to entice him to use his power for himself rather than for God's will. Remember, Jesus comes to do the will of the Father. He never loses sight of that. And yet Satan, the one who would deceive the tempter, would try and entice him to do that. Jesus responds with the word of God and the right word of God. Quoting from a por portion of Deuteronomy 8, 3, Jesus without malice, force, force or superiority, instructs the devil with the words, it is written, one does not live by bread alone. It is written in a technique used 
to imply the full authority of God. The word of God is to Jesus what bread is to the human being. And if you look further in John 4.34, you'll see an example of that. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus was not about to lose sight of what God had called him to do. And we see that whatever temptation we have, God is present and able to help us through that. Let us not get distracted by what might be easy for us, but let us keep faithful in doing the will of God. Amen. So nice to be with you today. I pray that you follow along and have a great discussion with groups at your meeting, or even if you look and answer those questions yourself. May the peace of Christ be with you now and always.